Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today are Laura Hale and Sam Page. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And I'm especially happy to have my regular crew here. I'm, I'm in the midst of doing an experiment because I've added a special segment to the program that I just started doing today, exploring cryptocurrencies. So um, you will, those of you who are listeners, you'll be hearing the first episode that I just recorded about an hour and a half ago. Um, sometime in the next day or two, I have to put the intro music and all, all that together for it. So it's a little bit kind of up in the air at this point how it's all going to hang together. But uh, you're going to be seeing a lot more of that because, um, like Sam and I were talking about before the show today, cryptocurrencies are becoming a thing. And, and as long as they are becoming a thing, we need to become more aware of them. and We need to understand what the uh, strengths are, what the weaknesses are. Uh, my particular uh, segment is going to be called the Crypto Skeptic, so that will give you an idea of where I come from on that particular topic. And it's going to be something to look forward to. So um, just a little heads up that uh, something new is being added to the show. But in the meantime, hello, Laura. You're looking dazzling as usual. And, and I, you gave us the word that uh, we're going to be losing you for a bit. In, in a couple of weeks, which we're kind of sad about. Um, but Yeah, I am kind of know, sad about it, but life happens and that's what's it going does. on. Yeah, and and the time that you've been with us has been wonderful, so we really enjoyed that. And you were also talking about how you're going to be coming back after your uh, little contract thing that you're working on is going to be done, so that'll be something to look forward to. But mm-hmm. um, I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, in the, the time that you've been with us, this has been great. We've been loving it, and we're going to get you next week too, which is cool. But, yeah. Yeah, really, really good. And uh, we also have a special guest joining us. Uh, Sam's here as well. He kind of had to drop off for a second. He'll be back in a moment. Um, but uh, our special guest is named Rob, Raj Subramayer. So, Subramayer, am I pronouncing that right, Raj? Yeah, Subramayer. So okay. there's a story behind that, right? Different, but we could. Well, let's start with a story. We always like stories. Okay, so before I even give you any more introduction, tell us the story of Subramayer. So my original <laughs> last name is uh, Subramanian, which is like the John Smith of South India. Okay. So every one in two people have their last name. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my wife is uh, American-German, and uh, her name is Wiesmeyer. Ah. So when we got married, we wanted to create our own legacy. So we combined Subramanian and Wiesmeyer, and now it's Subramanian. Okay. And that's why my company name is also called Chai Latte Consulting, because I'm brown, she's white, and Chai Latte, and then we have a mocha <laughs> ah, baby. So okay. Everything was intentional. It's Raj Subramayer, so that that's how it's pronounced. Beautiful. All right. So, well, first of all, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, you actually reached out to me, I don't know, a week, uh, like a month or two ago. I can't remember exactly when it was. And I remember looking at your website and saying, this guy has one theme that he's playing over and over again. He is so freaking persistent. No matter what happens, he just gets up, dusts off, and starts again. And it, I don't even know. I know you have a book out. I'm not even sure what you call the book. If I were you, I would call the book Persistence because that's your storyline. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But tell us your story. Give us like a little, you know, three minute potted biography, so to speak. So here's the shorter version of it. So, of course, from a thick Texas accent, you already probably know I was not born in the United States. Really? So, <laughs> so I grew up in the southern part of India from a place called Chennai, which is one of the five bigger cities in India, where you have tech and most of the revenue comes from that. So I grew up in a family where we were super academically focused. For mm-hmm. all the Asians listening or viewing, you get this. When you're born, you're pretty much given three options, doctor, lawyer, engineer. 
and then you pick one and then that's the path you take. And I took the engineering path and I've never looked back since then, right? But the point is my dad, since, it was bo- since he was born, he studied in scholarships throughout his life. Then you have an elder brother who has three masters and a PhD. He was a genius. And there I was the average kid who didn't do well in anything. You name it, sports, dating, academics. I was average in everything, right? <laughs> so I constantly kept comparing myself with other overachievers around me because I wanted to live up to like live up to their expectations, want to be like them. But every time I try to do that, I end up getting disappointed because I realized I can never freaking live up to people's expectations because they had so many varied expectations for people. Anyways, the Scots and struggle of trying to make a name for myself, make people recognize me, made me feel like an outcast. I became a shy, introverted kid. Um, I had fear of being judged and I had anxiety, depression, stress really at a young age. And this kind of continued throughout my childhood until I had a trigger event. And this happened at the age of 19. I still remember the moment vividly where I was in my study room and my chest started hurting and at at that point i thought okay i was getting a heart attack because i had unbearable pain but now i know it was my first panic attack sure and all this feelings which had bottled up inside me for the first 19 years of my life it just exploded at that point because uh i came to a realization that all this while i was living life based on other people's opinions i was i was uh making other people's opinions be my reality And in the process of not disappointing people, other people, I was disappointing myself. That's when I decided that, you know what, screw society. I I know (laughs) I have the skills. Yeah, I know I can carve my own identity, identity and I can strive for greatness. And that's when the real transformation happened. And fast forwarding 20, 22 years down the line, my whole life has been this process of transformation which is I've done so many varied experiments. I've gone through so many different failures and successes, which has helped me transform my life from a shy introverted kid earning a minimum salary into an international keynote speaker, best-selling author, and tech career strategist running a six-figure business. So it's been, till now, my whole life has been a journey, which has been an amazing journey of uh, self-exploration and transformation. So that's kind of a uh, a short spiel on where I was and why I do what I do right now. And right now I help people who represent my the old Raj and try to make them believe in themselves, especially those in the tech space, and try to make them better leaders and find them the job they love and make impact in the community. That's fabulous. I love that. And boy, did you nail a problem that is pervasive. I mean, it's everywhere. The idea that people adopt, I don't think they actually adopt it consciously, but they adopt the idea that they are, their lives are based on what other people think of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think all of us go through that at one point or another, or like maybe maybe not everybody, maybe 99.9% of us go through some phase of that at some point during our lives. Others of us stay with it for years. Some people get stuck in it, and it sounds like you were kind of stuck for quite some time. But it's a miserable place to be because you can never win. You're constantly evaluating yourself based on what somebody else thinks of you. And and you, you, you can't control what they think. You can't control what they say. You can't control what they believe. You can't control any of that. Your, your life is out of control. That's what it's like to live like that. It's like living a life completely out of control. And this is what I tell people. And you're right. This is what I tell people because so there are two things, right? 
first thing is everyone has to go through a downward slope to hit a low point in their life to realize, okay, this is the time to make a change. And then they're left with two choices. Either they could recognize what's happening and make a change. Or the second option is recognize what's happening and then still be in the same state. Do it again. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of people are following the second option or choose the second option. And they are afraid to take that first small step, which could be uncomfortable for them, which would push them out of their comfort zone because they have this fear of the unknowns and uh, they don't know what to expect. But then when you shift your mindset to use fear as a driver, instead of something which consumes you, then your whole, whole, you know, mentality changes. And that's what I did. So I recognized that, okay, I need to make a change. And literally the next thing I did was I took a paper and pen and noted down all the fears which have been an obstacle for my growth. I had fear of being judged, fear of being ignored, fear of failure, fear of unknowns, and I had a lot of fears. And at that age, at 19, with whatever I knew, I, on the side of each of those fears, I wrote down what exactly I'm going to do to overcome those fears. And then I started tackling it one by one, and that's been my whole life. And the moral of the story and why I'm sharing this is there's a beauty in becoming uncomfortable to get comfortable. Only when you actually push yourself slightly out of your comfort zone, you're going to find new things about yourself. If not, you'll never open your mind to different things, which may give you different opportunities. So the choice is yours. You can either be in the same shell or come out of the shell, right? People have two choices. Second thing, which I wanted to mention also was, in fact, this is what I talked about in my first TEDx talk. Uh, it was about how to use comparison to fuel your growth. Because this is the thing. Currently, we live in a digital age where everyone looks at these social media influencers and then they want to become like them. Like, for example, there'll be people posing pictures with their Ferraris, with their huge mansions, and, and people want to become like them. But no one knows the deeper story. Either they're $200,000 in debt and they're trying to making, trying to still maintain a social image, or it took them 15 years to get to where they are today, right? But the point is, you you need you can have a goal saying you want to become like them and strategically come up with a plan on how you're going to become like them. And in that process, even if you don't exactly become like them, you have learned a lot of things which can set you up for success in different different avenues, right? So just to dumb it down a little bit, a simple example would be, Say you want to become like this guy who has, or a girl who has uh, 200,000 subscribers on YouTube and you don't even have a YouTube channel, but you want to become like her. What you are going to do is try to analyze, okay, what is she doing that you're not doing? Okay. And then start implementing those things in your life and slowly start uh, doing things and analyzing it and keep pivoting, changing your approach. And finally, say in a year, you get 100,000 viewers, viewers, but you didn't reach 200,000 viewers. It doesn't mean you're a failure because the thing is, you already have 100,000 viewers. That whole journey has made you a videographer, you know, video editing, you know, audio editing. You have you gained audio editing skills. You've gained a huge following. So that's how we need to see comparison, right? There are two types of comparison. You have upward comparison and downward comparison. And again, you can check out my first TEDx talk on this, but the point is when people view comparison from a positive lens, then 
you can have growth because till 19, I was using comparison from a negative standpoint, from viewing it through a negative lens. But then once I viewing it, started viewing it through a positive lens, that's when the real transformation happened. Those are just some things to think about for folks. Very good. Wow. Yeah, you covered a lot of good stuff there. I, I keep going back to uh, that, that whole concept of depending on others for your identity, because that's really what you were doing. You were taking your cues from everybody else. I mean, Laura, you're a coach. I mean, you, you've never had a cl uh, client like that, right? Nobody ever comes to you who's got that kind of issue, right? No, never. <laughs> never. <laughs> but it's it's pervasive. It's all over the place. I, and I, like when, when you talk to a client who has something like that going on, how do you how do you help them get out of it? Oh, is it for me or Laurie? Well, well it's Laura. for Laura, actually. But Laura. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, I like to try to walk them through um, what's like really theirs and what's not theirs. So I really like what Raj is saying about go ahead and compare yourself because you can learn so much from that comparison. But then I think they people also need to take that even a step further and say, okay, you're looking at that person with 200,000 subscribers. They might be doing X, Y, and Z. You have to make sure you actually want to be doing X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. So, so if you don't really like align with that deep down, you're going to fall copycat someone. And then you may decide later on that what's not working for you. And yet you've built this su successful business and you're not really happy or joyful about it. So I think it, it's looking at those, what other people are doing, but then also going, okay, they're doing this, but is that really, what is joyful for me or what makes me feel lit up inside. Which makes and just to sense. piggyback off of what Laura said, another additional thing to think about is that, okay, one thing is you have to figure out whether you're passionate about it and you won't know it until you try it. And once you try it, if you don't feel that, feel like it's giving you the impact or joy, then you can always pivot. You can go from point A to point B. If point B does, doesn't work out, then come back to point A, then go back to point, go to point C. And that's how life is, right? But another thing which I tell my clients who I coach is uh, you really need to have a strategy. The problem with people is they want to become like different people, which is fine. But what is your strategy? What have you thought about in terms of implementation plan? What's your action plan? to actually achieve that goal. So that's why I keep stressing on having a strategy, having a plan because and having a plan because a goal without a plan is just a wish and we all know that. So you really need to have a strategy, number one. Number two is you have to do the freaking work because the point is we live in this world of delayed gratification where, I mean, no one believes in the power of delayed gratification because people want immediate results. You go to the gym, you want a six pack abs like within two weeks. Or you want to become a YouTube influencer and you want to have 500,000 subscribers in one week. The problem is people are not ready to do the work and they don't realize that it takes small, small steps over a period of time, which amplifies into huge impact. That's what it's all about. So I ask people to be patient, do the work consistently over a period of time. And the journey is going to teach you a lot of things. And then finally, you'll achieve the result. Right. And even if the result is not the exact result, that whole journey would have taught you a lot about yourself and things you could you, you could do. And you could latch on latch on to those one or two things which you have learned and then continue with that. So have a strategy, do the work and be consistent, especially when you feel like not doing the work. That's the time 
you have to show up and do the work because that's what separates people who make it and people who don't. So those are some things I just wanted to add to what Laura was saying as well. Yeah, that's good. In fact, when you mentioned the whole idea of, of strategy and planning, um, it also cued something in my mind, and, and I'm going to be curious to see what your response is on this because this is something that was an issue for me. It, and, and it took me a while to overcome this issue, um, partly by doing a podcast and talking to experts who could help me get past it. Uh, but it, it's the overthinking issue. It's, you know, paralysis of analysis, that kind of thing. And, and mm-hmm. you, it's easy to fall into. I mean, you, you can just fall into the planning trap and just never climb out of it. So how do you how do you address that with your clients? So the, the fir- this is the first thing I ask them to do, because this is the thing, folks. Everything you want to do in life, it's already in your mind. You just have to unravel it one by one and make it visual. We are, we are visual beings, okay? We like to see things, feel things. We are that type of uh, animals, right? So I, this is what I tell people. Do what is called the mind dump exercise. And it's a really simple exercise. And even those of you watching or listening, you can do this uh, you know, after the podcast as well. So what you're going to do is take a paper and pen, okay? Through the middle of the paper... Put a vertical line, okay, so that you have two columns. On the left column, write down all the things you love to do, you would like to do, and you want to do, okay? On the right column, write down all the things you hate to do and you don't want to do anymore. (laughs) And do this for an hour in an uninterrupted manner. No Facebook messaging, no text messaging. Just let your mind flow. Because just by doing that exercise, you're going to visually see what your strengths are, and you can find a lot of patterns. So let's just take a random example, right? So say, for example, uh, you had, you had identified you're a good listener. You uh, can communicate really well. You can convince people. Then maybe getting into sales or marketing could be a really good avenue for you, right? This is just a very random example. But similarly, you can find a lot of patterns in terms of where you want to go and what you want to do. Once you figure that out, then come up with an action plan. Okay, I want to become, say, for example, I want to become a speaker. Okay, what are the different things you need to do to become a speaker? Then start writing them down. Literally write them down on your notepad. It could be like 200 things or 10 things. And then prioritize that. Put a number between 1 to 10, one to 10 and then prioritize that, saying, okay, this is what I'm going to start with first. And then start attacking the problem one by one. And this is how you avoid the analysis paralysis stage because we don't visualize things. We have this huge, huge portion of stuff which we are looking at and it's overwhelming. But if you chunk it down into small, 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 small steps, that's when, okay, you get a cl- you get some clarity and, okay, what's your next step? What's your next step? It's about these small, small steps which, may, which leads to big, big impact and changes. And that's how you avoid analysis and paralysis stage. And this is what I tell people. You just have to write them down and do this mind dump exercise periodically and see and analyze what you're doing, whether working or not. Like say for two, three weeks, do it, analyze it, collect data, and then pivot. If it doesn't work, okay, make some changes and then do a slight variation of it. And this constant experimentation is the key to take that small, small steps towards where you want to go in life. Yeah, life is a series of experiments, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without the experiments, you don't get very far. 
<laughs> right. I just had to write all that down. I had to mute myself so I could write down the mind dump <laughs> experiment. <laughs> I love it. Love yeah, that. and also I have um, templates and stuff on my website where people can download in case you want some help in terms of how you want to do it. And I also have a video on how you could do it. But it's just really simple. It sounds so simple, but trust me, it's going to really, really help to bring out all the stuff which is locked in your brain. And you could just put that on paper. Then you start learning a lot about yourself. And so, again, we are visual beings. And you really want to put stuff on the paper to visually see, okay, what's actually happening, right? So, yeah, that's something to think about. Interesting that you mentioned that we're visual beings. Certainly that's true for a large segment of the population. It's actually not quite so true for me. I'm more of an auditory being. My, ah. my, my eyesight is not all that great. I, I, I'm literally blind in one eye. The second eye is, oh, it's kind of there. I can see, you know, I can drive, I can, you know, read and so forth. But it's not my strong suit. But my hearing is perfecto. I mean, I'm one of those people who can listen to a, a, a symphony orchestra play and identify all the instruments. It's, it's, I have that level of discernment that goes on. Um, and I mentioned this because um, I think what you were saying is, is absolutely true for people who are visual. But if you're not visual, you can still apply the same principle. You just have to do it differently. You have to do it mm -hmm. from and another an auditory perspective. You hear things, and then you visualize it inside your mind. Right. For example, even your smell and hearing. So you smell a cheeseburger. Okay, which is one of my favorite foods, and then <laughs> you then you immediately your there's saliva secretion because mm -hmm. the smell goes in and you start visualizing how a good cheeseburger tastes like the you know the bite into the cheeseburger the taste and mm -hmm. then the, the tomatoes the yeah. cheese on top of it and then the lightly grilled bun and the really for me, I have to have the meat well done. So you start visualizing it. So that's what I meant, mean by visual beings in the sense, irrespective of what you do, you you have these different mental models. You make up different mental models based on your experience. So say, for example, I have this pen. If I give this pen to Walt and say, tell me three things you notice about this pen and then give the same pen to Laura, tell me three things you notice about this pen, both of you may come up with three different things based on your experience mm. using a pen in your previous years. So it's experience-based thinking. That's what they call mental models. So we create different mental models in our minds based on our experience. And so everything is visual. Even if you don't visually put it on paper, you develop a visual image inside your head, right? So I think that's how you... For example, can like while you you can hear things, and then immediately start making connections because again you visually think okay, this this thing here, that thing there, okay, you know, you still start having the visual image. So that's what I think, and also based on research, that's what is found as well. Uh, well, I think what you're saying is accurate. Um, I, for instance, I do a podcast, and one of the reasons I do a podcast is because it is hearing oriented. And I'm, I am very, very good at being able to hear. I'm a, I'm a good listener, which is a valuable skill when you're an interviewer. You want to be able to listen to the people you're talking to and grasp what they're talking about and, you know, kind of jump on the bandwagon and where can you take it to the next level and so forth. And, and even more than that, uh, just as a person who is visually oriented can pick up little cues with little details, I can do the same thing with the auditory. So I can hear, for instance, whether or not the subject of my interview is feeling stressed or whether they're enjoying themselves or whether they're confused about something or worried about where it's, I, I can hear that 
you know? So taking exactly what you said, that, that's, that's what I do. I create a little model in my mind about how the interview is going and where do I want to take it next based on the cues that I'm getting in auditorially, exactly what you're talking about. And even though from a visual standpoint, say, for example, you know, uh, I'm sweating. If I'm sweating, I'm actually starting to sweat because it's really hot in here. But the point is, if I'm sweating. <laughs> Plus, you have a, sweats, a sweatshirt on. That doesn't help a whole lot, right? Right. Because, I, again, I live in Chicago here in the United States. But the right. point is, uh, if I'm sweating or if I do something like this, say, when Laura's talking, then she can pick up cues saying, huh. Is he understanding what I'm saying or mm-hmm. is he has something to say? Then Laura would say, hey, Raj, looks like you have a question to ask. So that's how we are built. Whether we know it or not, that's how we are built. We look at these visual cues, auditory cues, uh, sensory cues, and then we make up images of what the other person may be thinking and then try to, you know, uh, address that. So, yeah, I think that is pretty fascinating for me. And this mind dump exercise really helps. And uh, again, going back to the actual question, how we started the discussion about the analysis paralysis stage, I think it again comes back to visualizing stuff, coming up with an action plan and taking small, small steps. You don't have to take radical steps, just chunk chunk, chunk it down, chunk a big portion of uh, tasks which you have to do into small, small pieces and then execute it one by one. And that's how... By the time you know it, within three, four months, you would have already done a lot of things, which is making you, which is pushing you towards the ideal goal you want to achieve in life. Yeah, certainly small bites is a lot easier. And when you take little tiny steps, any job becomes a whole lot easier just because you're taking small steps. You're not time to do giant leaps. And going with the cheeseburger example, if the cheeseburger is too big, you can cut it into two halves. Cut the pieces. Right? Cut it into two halves. And then see, it's much more easier to fit in. But anyways, I know maybe they're vegan folks and vegetarian folks. Again, I'm just randomly giving a cheeseburger example. I respect whatever food food choices you make in life. So You, you can have your cheeseburger. The vegans have their vegan burgers. I'm going to go have my steak. I'm not sure what Laura's going to have. You know, we can do whatever we want. It's okay. It's not exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Laura, do you have any questions for Raj before we move on to the next segment? I was just going to say this, what you're talking about reminded me of um, something someone told me the other day, which is do 5% each day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you can really like, but it's just like such a small number that you think I can do 5% today. Because I think you, it is really easy to get overwhelmed by all of those when you have such a big goal. And and then to, like you said, break it down into all those individual smaller steps makes it easier. And that's really what I found myself needing to do is I just have this huge list of things and I just go through the list and pick one thing out and work on that. And it just, it helps keep moving me forward. And I just feel more comfortable when I'm actually knocking, checking that little checkbox off so that I can continue moving toward my goals. Yeah. And one thing I do that, and that actually takes me to the morning routines. I think having some routines in life really helps uh, for a lot of people, including me. Uh, again, people are wired differently. I'm not saying this is the way people have to do stuff. But the way I do stuff is wh- once I wake up in the morning, I need to have my first sip of coffee. And then I do 10 minutes of meditation. And then the next thing I do is I literally write down in a notepad all the things in my mind. In terms of tasks, in terms of feelings, in terms of whatever is happening in my mind. Then I, I come to the 
feelings part and try to reflect why am I feeling that way. And literally it just takes only five, 10 minutes. People think, people would think as of the way I'm expressing, it's going to take an hour. Now it takes five, <laughs> 10 minutes. And in terms of tasks, I put a number between one to 10 and prioritize it. And my whole goal motto in life is to finish the top three things every single day. That's the amount of capacity you have. That's the amount of mind power you have. And then I block time during the day where I do nothing else except for that one particular task, which I planned it. It's called deep work. And again, there's a great book by Cal Newport on the same topic about focusing on one thing, cognitively demanding tasks and avoiding interruptions. And then in the evening, I try to see whether I finished those three tasks and say like today when I had to take my kid to the doctor because he had a sudden rash, my whole schedule went out of whack. During those times in the evening, you're going to retrospect and see, okay, how many tasks have I done out of these three tasks? Okay. I haven't completed a third task. Okay. It gets carried over to the next day. Then the next day I repeat the same thing, write down all the things, including the previous carried over task, and then put a number between one to 10. Again, my whole motto is to finish the tab three. Again, block the calendar for those three tasks. I put one hour blocks for those three tasks and Having some side, some sort of structure like this also helps to overcome that analysis paralysis stage and also helps to take the small, small steps and help you, helps you get more focused, helps you make you less anxious and anxious and stressed as well. So that is something to think about in terms of morning routines and evening routines as well. I was just thinking about uh, your the the order that you do things in because you do the coffee first and then the meditation. So you're basically doing a caffeinated meditation, which yeah. work, works for you. But I'm thinking, whoa! I mean, jitters in the middle of meditating. Okay, that's interesting. You know what I heard though <laughs> is that you have 30 minutes for the caffeine to kick in. So oh, if you is that drink right? A little oh, coffee okay. and then meditate. But my body is so <laughs> immune to coffee that I, I'm a type of person who can drink coffee at 8 p.m. and still sleep overnight. So I'm that. Oh, you're one of those. Oh, yeah. One of those folks. So the problem is when I actually do not have coffee, then I tend to sleep when I meditate. Ah. (laughs) Again, you know, I use Headspace, the Headspace app, which Mm -hmm. is, which has three, five, 10 minute guided meditation. I love it. I highly recommend that for people, Headspace. And again, Headspace doesn't pay me to say this, but I've just been using it for four years. But the point is, I, I just do that for three, five minutes. and But I do 10-minute meditation. And sometimes, you know, I'm just so tired when I wake up in the morning. And uh, sometimes I just, you know, doze off when I'm focusing my breath. And it happens. So sure. oh, yeah. that's why the coffee actually really helps. So it basically gives <laughs> you a little boost. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It gives me a boost to, okay. I'm awakening my senses and that smell aroma of coffee, mm. you know, mm-hmm. it really, you can't deny really that. helps. That and aromas. sometimes, uh, I think I have it over here. So I have these, uh, scented, uh, scented oils, which I put on my temples mm-hmm. and then probably in the tip of my nose so that to keep me awake and then relax me as well. So whatever works for me, the you, coffee you, and these scented things actually work. Well, what you've discovered is that stimulating your senses helps you to meditate. And mm-hmm. so you, you know, your body, basically, you you know, this is what I respond well to. This is how I can get into that meditative state that I need to be in. So, Hey, kudos to you for that. That's fabulous. I also was noticing too, you were talking about the end of the day and you basically list things that you do and, and 
in a sense, kind of replay how your day went and so forth. I'm wondering to what degree does appreciation play a role in that exercise that you do at the end of the day? I think that's a great question. So I do the appreciation part uh, before I go to bed. So my wife and I, we have been doing this. We've known each each other for 11 years. We have been doing this for about five, six years now. So uh, we ask ask each other three questions. Uh, First thing is, what are you grateful for today? What are you happy about today? Mm-hmm. What do you think you can improve on today? Mm-hmm. So before we go to sleep, we tell each other these three questions. And we have mm-hmm. been doing it on a regular basis for the past seven years at least. And that's where my gratefulness gratefulness comes into picture. Where mm-hmm. when, Then I have to force myself to think about, why am I grateful for today? Right. Ah, I'm really grateful that I was in this podcast with some awesome people. You know, I got this opportunity and I'm very grateful for that. You know, you, it may, forces you to think. And another uh, place where I think about gratitude and stuff is when I'm running. When I run, I think about all these things. I see the clouds, the birds chirping, and then I, I just, duh, you know, look up to the sky, to the universe saying, thanks for giving me the ability to run easily. Like I can easily run five miles. It's the normal runs, which I do. And a lot of people cannot run. And then I'm able to run, have good shoes. You know, so it makes me really grateful for that as well. So running and then my nighttime routine, which now we talked about it, whether it's explaining that's my nighttime routine when I, before I go to bed. I think those things help me be grounded and then appreciate what I have. And I also have other ways of uh, trying to celebrate success and then be grateful for what I have. So, for example, on my side over here, I have a whiteboard and... Uh, I write down all my wins for the year wow. because there are going to be times when you feel like shit, like you don't feel like doing anything and mm-hmm. you feel you, you're a failure because you're human and sometimes you get into those moods. That's when you just turn here and see what you've already accomplished and then it forces you to think about what you've already achieved. And uh, so that's another way I help to remind myself of gratefulness, gratitude, and uh, celebrate wins and successes. So these are some strategies which I follow. And uh, of course, people viewing and listening can try these things and see which one uh, applies to your context as well. Oh, really good stuff. I like that. So uh, unless you have something else, Laura, I want to move on to the next segment here. Um, this is something that we used to do a lot. We're starting to bring it back now. We're getting some good response on it. Um, what we often did in the past, we would get emails from listeners and we, you know, asking us, you know, here's, here's a situation going on in my life. Can you give me advice or can you just address this topic? Cause I think it's an interesting topic. Or sometimes we would just go onto social media because there's all kinds of stuff posted out there and we would pretend that, uh, well, that person came to us with this particular question. How would we answer it? Right. So this is our Q and A section. So if you're willing, Raj, we'd like to include you in, in doing a little Q and A today. Does that sound good to you? Oh yeah. I would love to do that. Now, some of this is going to touch on your area of expertise because you help people basically build up their, their financial situation, you know, going to business, all that kind of thing. But some of them are going to be on different topics as well. So we're going to give you a chance to stretch a little bit too. Sure. And I can't tell you in advance which, what they're going to be. I just collect them and then I go through them. So what, That makes see. it more exciting. It does. Yeah, it really does. Because so, a good thing is over the past 22 years, I learned to not care about society 
in terms of what they think. So I have no feelings. So even if I make a fool <laughs> of myself in this podcast, I do not care. But I'm going to try my best to give my knowledge on the topic as much as possible. If not, I'm just makeup stuff. I'm kidding. <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> All right. So um, these come from a variety of Facebook groups, and, and a lot of them are, are very general topic stuff, so you never really know what's going to come up. But I'm just going to grab the first one here. This is somebody who is in college or in university, and they've got a dilemma that they're trying to resolve. And here's what they have to say. They say, I'm signing up for a new term as a music, music education major. I'm currently signed up for seven classes, one of which is just a monthly convocation. One of my general education course requirements is math, parentheses, I hate math, little angry face there. Mm -hmm. Um, I once got an 8% on a math test. I can either sign up for an 8 o'clock to 8.50 a.m. math class, or I can sign up for an online class, but I have no idea what the meeting time would be on that class or if there would actually be a set meeting time at all. And my course schedule is kind of tight. Seven courses, kind of understandable. Yeah. And I'm concerned about having to drop math or rearrange my schedule in the future if the online meeting time falls during one of my classes. Um, for a lot of music classes, there's only one option to choose from. So should I risk it and sign up for the online math option and hope it doesn't fall during another class time or just swallow my pride and take an 8 a.m. math class three times a week? <laughs> <laughs> That is very contextual because there's a lot of factors here, right? So let's let's make some assumptions on this person. Person, first, you both can chime in as well. Is that person a morning person? Number one, then are they more highly productive, right? So they need to figure that out. And then they're taking seven courses. I'm assuming. I think it was a she, right? Anyways, that person knows when those seven courses schedule is going to be for me if i were i was the person i would do the morning one where i specifically know the time and if there's any other classes which come after that then you could try to figure out okay how do i you know move this worst case which could happen is okay there's another class at 8 to 8 50 the same time in that case you could talk to the professor and say hey could i move this? move it to move the math uh, classes to an online course because they have a conflicting music class during that time. And so you want to start with something which you know. Something which you know is that the math class is between 8 to 8.50. You start from there. And then based on how things come, you have options on whether you want to move from an in-person class, morning class, to an online class. Or whatever programs you're taking, you want to make sure it doesn't coincide with the math class. So that's what I would do. In that case, at least you have some base to start with and then go from there. If you're hoping the online course class will be at some time which you like and then you commit to other things and then find out the online class, you know, conflicts with two to three other courses, then you're screwed. So I would at least know, start with what I know and then move from there. So that would be my strategy. Okay. And uh, yeah, I don't know what you folks think about it. Well, that, that's part of the fun of this is finding out what we think about it. So, Laura, you want to take a swing? I mean, I think Raj touched on something. We need to know a few things. One, will this person skip the 8 a.m. classes? But two, I am kind of sensing that this person needs the, the live in-person support that an in-person class might provide over an online class. And 
I also would probably tell this person they need to suck it up and get through their math, their math <laughs> class. And since they have a guaranteed time slot that they can make work, they probably should just get it over with. <laughs> yeah, especially the person had only 8% in one of the math classes and the person hates it. So I think uh, having an in-person class will make the person more accountable than mm -hmm. an online class where you're in, in your house eating Cheetos and then attending the math class. That may not <laughs> that may not work properly for the person. So uh, yeah, definitely I uh, I can I agree with what Laura was saying. I'm going to take a little bit of a different uh, take on this one um, because I understand the whole thing about hating math. Not because I hate, I, I actually was very, very good at math. Um, I was one of those high achievers who scored, I won't even say what the number was, but it was a very high SAT score. And I understand also what it's like for the people who are not good at math. And, and I mean, my wife's one of those. She, she basically hates math. Anytime she has a math problem, she brings it to me. She doesn't, I mean, there, there's just such an anathema there. She just doesn't want to have to deal with it. And, and a large chunk of the population have that experience. And there, we could go into a whole conversation about why that happens. But the bottom line is they basically got dragged into doing something they didn't want to do in the first place, and they became more and more hateful of it the, every step of the way. So the first thing that comes to my mind is, I wonder if there's a way we can help you enjoy math. Because if you felt better about math, you wouldn't even care it was an 8 o'clock course. You'd say, yeah, let's go do the math class. I'm so psyched. But or because, just even more confident in it, even if it wasn't your favorite yeah, thing, at yeah. least feeling that confidence about it. But when you come into it with the idea, well, I only got 8% on a math test. Yeah, of course you don't want it. It isn't even a question of when you, you're going to take the class. It's that you don't even want to have to take it at all. And, and I yeah. don't care if you're taking it online or you're taking it in a classroom. If you don't want to take it at all, you're not going to like it no matter what. You're not going to like the result. You're not going to get anything out of it. You may not even pass the damn course. So maybe we need to look at what's it going to take for you to have find a way to appreciate doing the math. And my recommendation is I'm sure your college has a math department head. Why not go have a conversation with them? Say, you know, mm -hmm. I, I just have always done badly at math. i got to take this course. I don't know what to do about it. I don't really want to wake up early to do a math class. Can you give me, like, some guidance? How can I find a way to actually enjoy math? Because I can guarantee you this. The professor who's head of the math department loves math. He wouldn't be a math professor if he didn't. And if he is any kind of a teacher at all, he can help you find where he finds the joy in math. And maybe mm -hmm. there's somewhere in there something that you can find. And in the process, this is the really big part, in the process, maybe you can also find ways to let go of the things that you hate about math. Maybe if you find a way to win, for instance, maybe if there's th – this is a big thing for Louise. When she found out that – in math, especially in the more advanced maths, there are little tricks that you learn, little tips, little rules of thumb that you follow in order to understand the math that she was never given the rule book on it. And she actually, when she found out that those existed, she was kind of resentful that her teachers never taught her that stuff. She said, why did they give me the code book? If they give me the code book, I could have done the math. And she's right. If you have the code book, you know how to do the math. So mm -hmm. get the code book. Feel better about it. Because we both, all three of us know, when you feel better about doing something, hey, nothing can hold you back at that point. The only thing that's holding you back is you don't like the math. You've convinced yourself you can't do the math because you don't like the math. So how about finding a way to change the mindset? That's yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, another angle would be that in, in, when, you, when you go to college, it's not that you're going to have you, like all the courses you take. So to Laura's point, suck it up and then finish the math course and then maybe pass with a B or something. 
are how are the grading works. And they just, because it, usually math courses are prerequisite courses, irrespective of what you do. So I'm assuming that it's not negotiable for her not to take the course. So she could just, you know, figure out, you know, how to collaboratively learn with people and find a smarter math kid who could teach her some ways to do the assignments or do, you know, learn stuff, which goes to Wall's uh, point. But on a really high level, just want, if this person is watching, you don't have to be good in math to be, succeed in life. In fact, Isaac Newton, and you could go look it up. He was really bad in math. So this is when, true. It comes, when he came, when it came, came to math problems, he had another person do the math calculation so that he could just experiment with it. You can outsource stuff. You don't have to do the math. So the point is success doesn't boil down to whether you know math properly or not. It's about how worldly wise you are and how you can use your experiences and add value. So, so if you think on a really bigger thing, the Think about the bigger picture. Yes, I know it's a problem right now, but trust me, once you graduate from college, it's not that you'll be using calculus or integral (laughs) calculus or those things at your work unless you're doing research or PhD in a math-related stuff. Mm. Trust me, and this is just about how you show up, what value you bring to the table, how proactive you are. Those are the things which are going to help. So if that, hopefully that makes this person feel better because I... Just like all of you over here, yeah, I've been in the industry for a while right now. I'm in the tech space and yeah, I've never used math from a standpoint of exponential, like, you know, calculus and stuff like that. I still <laughs> code and do stuff, right? So uh, you don't have to be good at math to be a good coder. You don't have to be good at math to start a business. You don't have to be good at math to do experimentation. That's why I gave the Isaac Newton. If that guy can do what he did without knowing being good at math, then any person in this world, you know, should take that as an example and then use it as, as a learning experience, just letting letting the person know. And this person's into music, but music is math. Yes. So maybe the music department people could also help them find that appreciation, that connection. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you look at how music is created. you got frequencies now you're talking about math like crazy yeah <laughs> it's just all math at that point absolutely true yeah so good stuff okay let's go on to another one see what, what we can do with a slightly different topic this is somebody who has a problem that that well we, we're going to be very familiar with here on the show i've had a hard time being happy i need advice or ideas on how to reset my brain to see life in a positive mindset I wake up grumpy, always in a bad mood. It's not like I can't laugh or feel joy. It's just not often. And it, it's not like me always to be grumpy or unhappy. It's it, But it, it, it's affecting my relationships. I try to say something positive, try to say positive things throughout the day, but it, it just doesn't do much. I, I've tried the mindfulness thing, but I always lose my train of thought, and I end up somewhere else in my mind. Uh, yoga, I used to do that, but I don't have that much time anymore to keep up with that. I need some advice. So, Raj, what would you say to this person who's just having a hard time finding that happy spot? I think there's so many things, right? And again, contextual. We don't know what personal problems the person is going to from mm-hmm. a medical standpoint and stuff. So we're going to leave that aside um, because those things need medical attention. Like, for example, I suffer through anxiety, depression, uh, and, uh, you know, those two things. So I do take medication apart from meditation, Right. So let's leave that aside. But coming to 
from assuming that the person is gen, gen, just generally grumpy about life and not happy. Maybe some of the things I would do is, again, going back to the basics, write down why are you feeling grumpy this morning? What's going on in your mind? I think this person needs to uh, spend some time thinking inward in, in, like, in terms of what's happening inside him or her and write down, okay, I'm feeling sad. Okay, why am I feeling sad? Then write down the reasons. Another thing I'll go do is go an extra step saying, can I control it? If you cannot control it, then there's no use being sad about it because you don't have any control control of it. But if, if you can control it, if you put yes, then think about, okay, how do I change this situation? So you really need to strategically uh, write down your emotions and figure out why you feel a certain way. Number one. Number two is changing your environment and atmosphere, probably. Maybe they're hanging out with really negative people. And when this person tries to do something like yoga, they'll, they'll make fun of him saying, Haha, you're trying yoga. Yoga, is, you know, it's not that useful. And then this person believes in that. Okay, yoga is not that useful. And then does yoga for two, three days and then stops. Again, going back to doing the work and be consistent even when you don't want to do it. So you want to ignore other people's feedback who are giving this negative energy when you're trying new things. And then you try it on your own and you make the judgment whether it's something which you want to do. Even meditation. When you do meditation, three-fourths of the time, you are going to drift away from your thoughts. But the thing is, you bring back your attention to the breath and that's how it works. So if this person just tried meditation and then only for three, four days and then left it, that's not the true experience. He or she should try it for two, three weeks. And then figure out, okay, what's happening and then analyze it, right? And that's when you know whether it's working for them or not. I think based on research, it takes, what, 32 days or 35 days to form a habit. So even with your, whether you don't like something, try it at least for two, three weeks and see whether that's your cup of tea. If not, okay, then leave it and then go to the next one. So just to summarize what I just said. You need to write down your emotions and think about why you're feeling that way and whether you're in control, whether you can control it. Then surrounding yourself with positive people, changing our atmosphere, changing our environment. And another thing which I do is uh, throughout my house, there's inspirational quotes. I'm a sucker for inspirational quotes. <laughs> but keeps me motivated because there are two types of motivation. You have extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. So intrinsic motivation is what is within you, which motivates you to do things, right? Extrinsic motivation is the external things which motivate you to do things. So for me, intrinsic motivation comes when I write down all these things and then keep me motivated and analyze data. So for example, I track my weight, okay, every day. And then I could see, okay, each day how, how I'm progressing. And for me, it makes me feel really good because I can see how much effort I'm putting and internally it gets me going. But also it's an external motivation for me, looking at things, data, and then looking at inspirational quotes. So maybe this person needs some motivation and accountability partner to try. Say you're doing yoga, don't do it alone. You can do it with someone else. Say you're doing meditation, do it with your significant other. I think mentioned wife, maybe. I didn't, uh, maybe I missed it. But the point is you can do it with your partner or significant other. So those are some ways I would say to shift that focus and always ask yourself, why are you doing what you're doing? And that also really, really helps to, 
to make sh- to let you know whether you're doing meaningful work and if you're doing if you feel like you're doing meaningful work then you're going to be much more happy right so these are some of the things i can think of but i can keep going on and on because there's so many things <laughs> you can do but i'm going to give uh, you two some chance to chime in and then share your thoughts as well okay Laura, you wanted to go at it yeah um the first thing i noticed about the way he was describing his issue was um it seems like he's trying to take care of it all on his own so when Raj touched on the account- accountability partner and the idea that maybe there's, you know, a deeper medical issue going on, that's where I would suggest he starts is getting some professional help if he can afford it. And because you do want to check to make sure there isn't, you know, actually you're not actually depressed or you're not actually dealing with anxiety so that you can at least rule that out. Um, so it's it's that looking to other people to help you and pulling in professionals to help you with this. And then the other piece that I was kind of thinking about while Raj was talking and while we were reading that question is um, there's like a level of acceptance sometimes. So sometimes you can just be like, Oh, I'm in a bad mood and just accept being in a bad mood. Mm. And because what we learned um, when we were kids, or if you watch little toddlers, you know, they'll they'll have their emotional reaction and then they'll kind of let it go and move on. But what we do as adults, we stop the emotions. So if you, what I've learned from doing different shamanic work, energy healing is to actually go all the way into the emotion and let yourself feel it. Mm. And, but sometimes if you're not, you know, if you're worried about your mental health, you, you would want to do that in a safe container so that there's someone there with you. Um, if like I've gotten used to doing that. So now I just do it on my own. I just let myself get angry. I let myself get upset. I let myself say, you know, I'm really melancholic today. I'm just going to accept it and see what happens tomorrow. Um, or I might go take a walk to see if that can shift it and do the things that Raj was talking about, you know, to help to see if you can shift it. But there's also kind of an ease and just saying, sometimes you just don't, you're not in a good mood and it's okay. And to say it's okay. And to lay on the couch all day and watch TV if you want to. Now, if that happens for six weeks, you might, you might have an that, issue. That, yeah, that's an issue. You need to yeah. work on. <laughs> but it's sort of allowing yourself to be more in the flow of our emotional ups and downs that we do have. And, um, but I think again, the primary thing I would tell this person is to look at getting professional help okay. and to make uh, sure that you, you don't have that as the underlying issue. I, I love what you guys are saying. I, I, I think you're doing really, really good. I, I actually keyed on the comment. Uh, where he said something like, I, I, it's not like I can't laugh or feel joy. It's just not very often. I thought to myself, okay, well, that kind of suggests to me that he's not, he or she is not dealing with a chronic thing that's just constantly going on. They, they, they have little lights of, of joy that, that peep through. So they're capable. It's, it's not like that's not part of their experience. And when I thought of that, I thought of the Abraham Hicks approach, which is what are you focusing your attention on? So mm-hmm. I think that'd be my advice is look at what you're focusing your attention on throughout the day. I mean, are, are you waking up in the morning and looking at the news and, oh God, the war is going on in Ukraine and, uh, there's all these riots going on and, uh, there's the wildfires and there's, you know, going through and all, I hate the, my job that, that I have to go to. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and I can't believe my boss is treating me the way they, oh, I can't even talk to the boss today. What am I going to do when I get into work? And you're just looking at all these things and all the ways that life is going wrong. Yeah. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be grumpy. <laughs> you're going to be in a bad mood. I mean, just by focusing on all that stuff that's going on that you don't like. So what's going right? 
I mean, Raj was talking earlier about how he has these morning and, and evening routines that basically revisit his day and look at what went right in the day and what he learned from it and what, what he got done and so forth. Well, that's focusing on the stuff that you like, the stuff that was important, the stuff that felt good, the stuff that made your day successful. So how are you spending your day? How are you giving your attention throughout the day? And to me, the best thing anybody can do is just be mindful of their entire day as they're going through it. Kind of take, I, I call it taking my mental temperature. What's my mental temperature right now? How am I feeling right now? I've been doing stuff for the last 25 minutes, 30 minutes. How am I feeling after that 25, 30 minutes? Is there something I can do to adjust, feel a little bit better? And if you do that throughout your day, well, I don't know about you guys. I, I don't feel grumpy very often. It's pretty rare just because I'm constantly taking my mental temperature. So that's my take. Another thing to think about is so for this person, you have to understand that your thoughts are neutral. You label them as positive or negative. Right. Your thoughts are always neutral. You label them as positive or negative. So when people around you are going to put different labels and you're saying you're not good enough, you don't matter, or this is bad, or this is worse, or this cannot happen, if you associate with that label, then you're going to feel miserable, and then you're going to be living in another person's reality. But if you associate yourself with labels such as I'm good enough, oh, this makes me happy, or this is going to be interesting, this is going to be good for me, then your entire mood changes. So remember that you are in control of what labels you associate yourself with. You can either choose to go with positive labels or negative labels, but in the end, it's up to you. No one is forcing you at, I don't mean to be violent here. I'm trying to use a different <laughs> analogy. But I was going to say was no one is forcing you at gunpoint saying, okay, this is what you need to do. Unfortunately, if you are in that situation, I'm very sorry. But the point is, I'm just giving a really random example. I couldn't think of anything else. But you are in control most of the times for your actions. Because you also have to remember, you cannot control the circumstances, but you can control your actions under any circumstances. Right? So... The only thing you can control is the way you react to things. You can't control the way other people feel about things. So those are some perspective. If you constantly keep thinking about, it may help you lead a much happier life. Uh, just wanted to put that out there as well. That's good. Yeah. I, I, well, they mentioned that they were grumpy. So I think we could probably rule out the, the gunpoint because if you're at gunpoint, grumpy is not the first emotion that jumps to mind. <laughs> right. <So. laughs> But uh, this, no, this is this is why we like doing Q and A. It's a lot of fun to kind of explore how would, how would we answer that if we had this person talking to us. This, this is really cool. We are unfortunately running out of time, but before we finish up for the day, Raj, we got to get some information from you about how do people find you? How do they find your program? How do they find your book? You have a book that's out. We didn't even talk about the book. You got to mention that. Tell people how to find who you are and where you are. Yeah. So the three ways to connect with me and know what I'm working on currently. First thing is if you go to my personal website, which is rajsubra.com, which is R-A-J-S-U-B-R-A.com, you'll find all my life's work there, how I help people, all my publications, my videos. You'll find everything over there. Um, currently, I'm enrolling people for my one-on-one -on -one coaching program as well. So, yeah, if you're struggling in the tech space to find your dream job, you feel stuck in your career, you want leadership coaching, definitely hit me up. Second way is if you go to skyrocketyourcareerbook.com, skyrocketyourcareerbook.com, that's my book website. I released a book called Skyrocket Your Career, and the subtitle is The No Bullshit Approach to Find Your Dream Job, Be Successful in It, and Transform into a Rockstar. So 
It's a 99-page book. It won the award, Silver Medal Award uh, for Best Nonfiction Book in 2021. Wow. It, it hit number five on the Amazon bestseller list. And uh, so it's really providing value. But again, I'm giving everyone an opportunity to download the first chapter for free from the website. And uh, they could make the judgment whether it's going to be useful or not. But it's going to cover the entire job lifecycle from finding out what your ideal career is going to be to how to set yourself miles apart from the competition when you eventually get a job. So you're going to learn all those things. And also, um, through the online shop, you can contact, I mean, through the online website, you can contact me. And I also have an online shop where people can buy merchandise like this, which I designed, me and my wife designed, and 100% of the profits go to charity. So no, none of the money comes to me. So that is another way to support me. And finally, finally, I live on LinkedIn, literally live on LinkedIn. So <laughs> if anyone wants to connect with me, make sure you follow me and then just DM me and uh, you will probably immediately get a reply from me. So um, those are the three ways to contact me, support me, and to know about me. And I was just talking to Walt, uh, but I have a career design workshop, a two-day workshop I'm doing in Chicago. So if you are in Chicago or if you want to visit Chicago in the mm -hmm. summer when it's super pretty, I've, uh, it's happening the second week of June and uh, hope to see you there. All right. Very good. A lot of good ways to reach out. That's a good thing. So thank you, Raj, very much for joining us on the show. Thank you for sharing your perspectives. And thank you for doing the work that you're doing to help people in the tech sector to realign their lives and, and get into that passionate space that everybody really wants to be in, even if they don't know that they want to be in it. I mean, everybody wants to. I don't care if you're a tech worker or not. You still want to, right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you giving me an opportunity both of you giving me an opportunity to share my story. And uh, hopefully, if there are one or two things which I mentioned which impacted at least one or two people, then I think I've done my job. So, I would say you have, definitely. And Laura, once again, as usual, you, you were a brilliant star on the on the, the horizon of the show doing doing your wonderful thing. We really, we really appreciate that. We're going to miss you when you're gone, but we get one more week of you. So thank you for the one more week. We appreciate that, too. Thank you. This is a great episode. It was. It was really a lot of fun. And, of course... Thank you to the podcast listeners, because you guys, you're, you're the ones that make it a podcast, and you make it so worthwhile for me, as you have for so many years now. So thank you very much for tuning in. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.